0: Thousands of years before Jesus was born into that manger in Bethlehem, a man and a woman found themselves unlocking an ancient curse. God had placed them on the earth and told them that the earth was their playground. They were to build a kingdom of light that extended to the ends of the earth, raise up children, rule over the earth and, abs- and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea the birds of the air, and every living thing that creeps on the earth. And God said, there's just one thing in all creation that you can't do. And they did it. The serpent tells the woman to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she eats of it. And she gives it to her husband, Adam, and he eats of it. And as God steps in to the garden, the curse is in the air. God says, because of this, because of what you've done, everything about this world is going to be cursed. As you bring up children, as you birth children, it will be painful for you. As you extend this rule over the earth, it will be painful for you. Everything you put your hand to do will war against you. Their relationship with God was broken. Their relationship with each other was instantly broken. The relationship they had with the world was broken. Even their relationship with the devil was broken in a new way because the curse stepped into this world. God says, as you walk through this world, the devil will slither like a snake around you looking for ways to chomp at your heel and insert his venom and destroy you. God said, someday, one day, a child of one of these women is going to come and crush the head of the serpent and reverse this curse. But until then, you live in this cursed world. And everything is broken, and everything is dark. And starting with the Garden of Eden in that moment, it's like this darkness of cancer came and just started spreading throughout every crack and corner of planet Earth. Everything was tainted. Everything was broken. Everything became dark. It was war. It's funny, we talk to a lot of people who who don't necessarily believe in God or Maybe they don't believe in Adam and Eve, or they don't believe in the Garden of Eden. Maybe they don't believe in the devil or the serpent or any of that stuff. Maybe they don't even believe in spirituality. But one thing that I feel like everyone I talk to agrees with is it seems like this earth is cursed. It seems like there's something broken. I was talking to a contractor a few weeks ago who was trying to install tile in a shower. Not a Christian guy, but... Good contractor, knows what he's doing, and yet he was frustrated because every time he bought tile, he got the wrong color. And then it came broken. Then it came not broken, but the wrong color again, right? And, then it, and so I was talking to this guy, and I said, you know what the Bible says? Can I share a Bible story with you? And he said, sure. I said, the Bible says that everything that we set our hands to do is going to war against us, that this world is cursed. He said, the Bible says that? He's like, that makes a lot of sense. You ever wondered about that? Why is it that every project you try to do never works? Why is it that we say, you know what, today I'm going to fix my heater. It takes you like three days to do it. Why is it that when you're in school, your printer always works until it's time to print that term paper, and then it breaks? Or should we be superstitious? <laughs> Murphy's Law, is that a thing, right? I feel like that's the only superstition that everyone kind of agrees with is Murphy's Law. When thing is supposed to work, it's not going to work. Your heater in your car is gonna to break today when you actually need it. Your kids always wake up at four in the morning, except on Sundays when you want to get to church, and now they're sleeping in. What is that? You ever look around the world and feel like something's broken with it? I know people who say, I believe that people are, are good natured. Everyone, we all of us are good people deep on the inside with it. Why are the things happening in this world that keep happening in this world? Three murders in Castro Valley in two weeks. What kind of world is this? A week before, a fire destroys the lives of 36 people in Oakland. What kind of world is this? What kind of world is this when there are men and women overseas who are sitting around and just waiting to die as their government turns on them, trying to escape their country and being sent back? What kind of world is this? It's a cursed world. Why is it that every relationship that you have is breaking and broken? Why can't you get along with your husband? Why is Christmas dinner always turn into a fight? Why do your parents always try to tell you what to do? <laughs> and why is it in all of these contexts that even though we blame the other person, there's just something inside us that always gets mad? We always yell. And we get irritated, we don't even know why, but there's just like something broken in us and we want to lash out and hurt people. Some of us want to hurt ourselves. Some of us look in the mirror and everyone in the world might tell us we're beautiful, but we look in the mirror and that's not what we see. This world is cursed. A lot of times when we think about the Christmas story, we think of the beauty of Jesus in the manger. These wise men coming, and they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh, and it's warm in there. And even though it was a manger, there was probably a fire, and the cows were mooing softly, right? And it was a no crying he made, and it was beautiful. But the scriptures point out to us that there was a dark side of the Christmas story, even in that beautiful scene. That yes, God himself was stepping onto our planet, writing himself into the story, coming to redeem the broken world and wage war on it. But the world that Jesus stepped into on Christmas morning was a cursed world. We see in Matthew chapter 2, which we'll read in a moment, that From the moment Jesus stepped onto the planet and words started getting out that he existed, it almost seemed like the curse just turned its gaze towards him and zeroed in and set foot to destroy him. Some of us have felt that in our own walk with God, kind of like JP said on the video. I I gave my life to Christ and that's when it got hard. Like Larry said last week, Christianity is... It's the best way to live, but it's not the easiest. And sure, the curse affects everyone equally in a sense. All of us have the world warring against us, whether you're a Christian or not. And yet for those of us who follow Christ, there is a spiritual aspect of that curse. There is this warfare piece. There is this enemy. There is this devil trying to destroy the work of God. And so when God steps into the world in Jesus or into the world through you as you start to follow him, it's like the curse turns to you and says... You're going down. This morning, as we read together Matthew chapter 2, normally we just pay attention to the beautiful scene with the wise men. But I would love for us to pay attention to Herod and the religious leaders. Now, this is a story where it kind of seems like Herod is this nice guy. You know, he says, Hey, when you find Jesus, tell me where he is so I can worship him too. But as we keep reading and we see what Herod turns into, we realize that when he is looking for Jesus, he's trying to get Jesus' coordinates so that he can destroy him, not so that he can worship him. And I want us to look this morning as we prepare for the beauty of Christmas next Sunday and just get a glimpse at the darkness that Jesus was stepping into to rescue. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. They opened up their treasures and presented with him him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. Because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. A few months ago, Mark and I went to Africa and got to catch a glimpse of what the curse looks like when God starts working in an unbelievable way. And we've talked a lot in Home Builders and in here about the unbelievable work of God. And yet what we don't talk about a lot is the oppression, the spiritual warfare, the darkness that happens in a place where God is breaking forth and working. These churches that we would visit, they'd have these deliverance meetings every week, where people would come and they were demon possessed, and they were these terrible illnesses and pains, and these demons are getting cast out of these people, and it, it's unbelievably obscene the types of things that they're seeing weekly in these churches. Mark and I at one point went up into this village in in northern Sierra Leone, where they said is a, a dangerous place because there's. Uh, there are some forces from the, from the north, the Muslim community, they were coming down and trying to push down the work of God. And, and so as we went into this city, it was this amazing celebration of what God was doing. People were rejoicing, they were praising, they were celebrating the fact that we came, right? We're like, we're just us, right? But they're celebrating. And, and during this big party and worship and, and whole beautiful ceremony, I noticed on the outskirts of the crowd, there are some men standing out there, and they're just leering at the group. And I, I don't know how to describe the way that they were presenting themselves. They're, I just felt like there's something going on with those guys out there. Why are they watching us, and why are they watching us in this way, right? They were standing next to these motorbikes that were kind of idling and, and just watching and listening to every word that was happening, And so Mark, Tyler, gets up to to speak. He says, can I share a word of encouragement from the scriptures with these folks? And, And the leader that was with us said, hey, you're welcome to. They would love that, but you need to be very careful in this place because there's a lot of radicals that live here who are trying to take down the work of God. And in that moment, I thought about the guy with the motorbike in the back looking to report something about what we were saying and what we were doing and what God was doing. And realize that behind all these celebrations and worship, these people live in this fear that if you step out of line, if you say the wrong thing, if you praise Jesus too loudly or in the wrong way, there are people who will want to kill you for that. We heard stories of people who were just praising God because their lives have been transformed and we say, well, tell us about your family. And their faces drop. I said, I haven't seen my family since the day I became a Christian. My village kicked me out. My village tried to stone me. My village told me to never come back. Now, some of that is oppression from people, and that's the spiritual warfare of, of what's going on in that political climate. Some of it is just, just darkness. We walked into a, a one city in a little village, and we were supposed to have another celebration type meeting and equipping and encouragement and prayer together with this beautiful church there, but we got to this village, and, and there was nobody around. There was a few people kind of sitting on their porches, and they all were just staring at the ground. And... We walk into the church, and it's just empty. And the pastor comes out, and he says, I'm so sorry that we were looking forward to meeting with you today, but right before you came, one of, our, one of our women's child fell in the well and drowned, a two-year-old. And we heard the screaming, and, and the whole village had to go with her to the police station in the corner. And, and So that we wanted to worship with you today. It's not a good day. Wherever God is at work, the curse is trying to push it back. Can we see that in the story? Uh, This beautiful baby, God in the flesh is born in the manger. And God starts telling the world, telling the magi, sending the light to the nation, saying, come and see what the Lord has done. and the political leaders and the religious leaders catch wind of what God is doing. It's like evil overtakes them. They want to destroy Jesus. Herod is just plotting to get Jesus' coordinates so that he can kill him. The religious leaders, all Jerusalem with him, was disturbed at this report of the Messiah that had been born. Or light emerges, darkness tries to stomp it out. Some of us in this room have realized that. Right? You try to follow Christ and it seems like life gets harder. And so, honestly, for a lot of us, the way we've decided to navigate our Christian life is to be religious enough to get to heaven. <laughs> But not on fire for Jesus enough to get a target put on our back. Because we know if we start sharing the gospel, if we start inviting our co-workers to church or telling them about Jesus, if we start making some big changes, if we start spreading the news and making some noise about what God has done in us, all eyes are going to turn on us. And so sometimes the dance of Christianity, unfortunately, in a country like ours, is How Christian do I have to be to be good with God without making the enemy notice? And some of us have made that decision even consciously because of the pain and the darkness that we've experienced as we came out as believers, the threats that our families have made. The experiences we've had at work or at church even or anywhere as we start to explain what God has done, it's just too hard. And so we, we're living as these like undercover Christians, like some of your family don't even know you're here today. You said you were going to Safeway or something. <laughs> no one knows you're a Christian at work. You haven't told your family that's coming over for Christmas yet. You're embarrassed because of the way you've always talked about Christianity as a family. So you're real quiet. And you're quiet not because you're a coward. You're quiet because you know what will happen when you open your mouth. When God opened his mouth and spoke and stepped into the world, we see what happens. The eyes turn to him and they zero in and want to destroy him. And when we read this passage through this lens, it's almost like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. These wise men are worshiping Jesus and we just keep thinking in the back of our minds, oh no, they're supposed to go to Herod next, right? It's really hard not to know the end of the story because we know that baby Jesus doesn't die, right? But if you're reading this for the first time, there's this tension in the room as the wise men are worshiping because we know the next step is that they go back to Herod and then Herod comes with a sword. And some of us, even we watch the videos, the, the, the stories that people are telling and hear stories of people recovering. We hear stories of, of people making big changes. We hear stories of people who are experiencing victory in the battle and and some of us watch those and we start getting nervous for them because we start thinking the other shoe is going to drop for them. That on the other side of this story they're waiting for darkness to emerge. That for you as God is starting to do good things in your life and you're coming to church for the first time in a long time you're starting to get nervous because you know that when good things are happening in your faith darkness is coming for you. So you've got to decide in that moment. Do I kind of sneak back into the oblivion where the darkness can't see me? Or do I draw my sword, as it were, and my shield and step into the light and just wait for the devil? Now, we know in this story, the other shoe doesn't drop. And the beautiful thing is how it works, right? The, the Magi... Maybe they had a suspicion about Herod, maybe they didn't. We don't know that, but we do know that it seems that they were intending to go back to Herod, like he asked them to, and report where Jesus was. So the, Herod, the Magi worship Jesus, they bring him these gifts, and apparently go to bed in Bethlehem, and God shows up in a dream and says, hey, just so you know, Herod wants to kill Jesus. Don't go back to the palace. It's like, Thank you, God. A good tip, right? And then God shows up to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, Herod wants to kill your baby. Run out of the country. Like, he's not going to be stopped. Get out of the country. This baby needs to be safe. And so Joseph and Mary take the baby and get out of the country. They flee to Egypt. And we get a little bit of encouragement in this to see that when darkness is closing in on us, the God that we worship, the God who has brought us into the light, the God that we are following now, He's smarter than the darkness. He's bigger than the darkness. Like Herod's thinking he's having all these little private conversations and it's all sinister, right? God hears the private conversations of sinister people. God knows what Herod's thinking. God knows what Herod's saying. God knows what your family is saying about you now that you told me you're a Christian. God knows all these things. He sits above this earth and he can see everything. He is everywhere. He knows all the information. And so when it comes to saving baby Jesus, God keeps the baby one step ahead of the darkness. And So we can find some encouragement in that. Darkness is coming in on you. Listen to God, he can keep you a step ahead of it. And A lot of times we think of Christianity as like this list of rules to follow, that's not what it is. When we think about how the New Testament authors describe the Christian life, it's a life where you're just following God kind of like the the Magi did and like Herod did, listening to the voice of God and following. Jesus says, abide in me, cling to me, right? Wherever I'm going, just stay with me, trust me, you can't see this world, I can The Apostle Paul says, if you want to battle the darkness, walk by the Spirit. Don't just go into this and say, I'm going to beat this. Walk by the Spirit. Listen to the voice of God in your life as the Scriptures speak to you, as God directs you. Listen to His voice because He's in the command center above everything. He knows what's going down on this planet, and He can keep you a step ahead if you listen. So that's encouraging, right? Darkness is coming in, but you can listen to God, and He'll keep you moving forward." kind of feels like the religious life is like playing Pac-Man. You ever played Pac-Man? Or it's like you're trying to gobble up all these little things where the ghosts are after you, right? And you're like, and God's at the joystick and he's keeping you like, what, 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 right? And you don't know how the ghosts are going to turn, but God does, right? And so they go out one side and come out the other side. You're like, whoa, 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 right? That's what I feel like when I listen to Joseph's story is he's just staying one step ahead of these ghosts that are all trying to come in and kill him. And it's always like, woo, woo, woo. And he's staying alive, Right? <laughs> And in a sense, there's some beauty in knowing that God is above all things and God can control the Pac-Man joystick of our lives and keep us one step ahead of the inky-binky-plink-whatever-those-ghosts-are-called. And and Sue, you need your Pac-Man knowledge to go up a notch here. But on the other hand, even as we read the story, the darkness is still here. When Jesus escapes to Egypt, Herod doesn't know. Herod just knows the Magi didn't come back, and now he's mad. And when someone who's controlled by the power of darkness is mad, it's not good for the planet. Herod gets furious. He says, you know what, if they're not going to tell me which baby is Jesus, I'm going to kill them all. Some scholars read this passage and say, oh, Jesus must have been two years old because he killed the babies two years and under. I don't see that here. I feel like if there's a tyrant who wants to kill everyone and make an example, he's rounding up. How, old, how long ago did you see the star? A year, three months, two days, whatever, right? We're going to kill every baby that could be identified as that one. Kill all the baby boy, all of them, right? Not just in Bethlehem, in the surrounding cities. Let's set up a perimeter of where that baby could have gone in geography and age, and let's slaughter them all. Sends his armies, rips two-year-olds, one-year-olds, newborns crying out of their mother's arms, and... Slices him to death, spears him with a sword. The the slaughter of the innocents comes in Matthew chapter 2 after the beauty of the nativity. Because when the light starts to emerge, the darkness comes in hard. Herod didn't stop. The religious leaders didn't stop. Whenever Jesus was found out to be alive, they reared their heads again and said, we're going to make him dead. And if we keep reading the story, we see Jesus grows up, he's still alive, he makes it to his 30s. And then the political and the religious leaders, Rome and Israel, they combine forces together to zero in on Jesus and put him to death. It's like that ancient serpent finally gets him in a corner, sticks his teeth in his heel, pumps out the venom, and holds tight till he dies. The darkness wants to extinguish the light. In Genesis 3, that ancient curse that God brings out He foresees that moment. He says, Satan, you are going to strike his heel. But he is going to crush your head. Jesus lays dead in the tomb for three nights, three days. And on Easter Sunday, he gets up, (laughs) steps on the little snake, and light just emerges from that resurrection tomb. And it's funny, when you read the stories of what life on this planet began to look like as Jesus leaves the tomb, tells people, I'm alive, darkness is gone, ascends into heaven, right? We picture him kind of floating. I picture him walking up a staircase like he's ascending to a throne in heaven because that's where he goes. And he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God and Jesus begins to ring. And as Jesus begins to reign from heaven, it seems like the light is coming out from that place and moving into every arena of society and extinguishing the darkness. Or we see on Pentecost this spirit explosion and the church just gets ignited with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And all heaven starts breaking loose the moment Jesus sits on that throne and sends out his spirit into his people. And people start speaking up and everybody gets saved. People get thrown in prison and Jesus from heaven just like opens the prison door and lets them out, right? Jailers see what's happening and think, what is happening? And they hear the gospel and they're saved and their whole family is baptized, right? The Roman guard who just sees Jesus dying, The moment Jesus dies, it's like something changes in him and the lights turn on. And we feel like from that throne and from Jerusalem and from that tomb to the ends of the earth through the book of Acts, we see this powerful light trying to extinguish the darkness and overcome it, bringing the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. When we think of our Christian lives, and we picture Pac-Man and Joseph just trying to stay one step ahead, we are glad that God kept Jesus alive through Joseph and through his parents and all that. And yet that's not the Christian life. The Christian life, if you read the book of Acts, is more like Pac-Man after you eat one of those little things. You know what I'm talking about? And the ghosts turn white. And all of a sudden, like, you're like, boop, 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 boop. And you eat the big... I should do my research on Pac-Man, and eat the big, and the ghosts turn a different color, you turn around, and they start fleeing, and you're like, gobble, go, go, and you're going after them, and eating the ghosts, and they go back to the center, they come back, and they're so, right, and you're going, going, going. It's a different game. Our game that we play is not the defensive game where we're just listening to God and keeping one step ahead of the darkness. The game that we play as believers because the light has come into the world and is extinguishing the darkness is that we are walking in the power of the Spirit to push back the darkness. It's an offensive game. There's still darkness in this world. There is still an enemy. And it is out to destroy the work that God is doing. But the way that the enemy is positioned right now, the enemy is fleeing. Christianity is pursuing a fleeing enemy until they surrender at the end of days. We're awaiting a savior to come back and finish the work, but until then, we are not huddled in the darkness, hoping not to be extinguished. We are men and women who are curse reversers, burden lifters, darkness pushers, We're bringing the light of the gospel into this dark world, and light extinguishes darkness every time. There's no such thing as a dark flashlight that can turn the lights off in this room. We black out this place, I light a candle, and you can all see it. As you think about the Christian life living in this dark world, remember that we are on the offensive Right, if you're playing that game where you're just kind of staying in the shadows hoping not to be seen, you don't need to play that game. Right? That is the game the enemy wants you to play. The game you should be playing is going out because the darkness cannot overtake you. Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now dwelling in us and giving life to our mortal bodies, what can we not do? What dark corner of the world cannot handle the light that we bring into it? Do we really think that the work, work of God is going to be extinguished in Western Africa because some people and some forces and some enemies and some spiritual enemies want to extinguish it? Nothing can stop the men and women who are indwelled by the spirit that raised Jesus to bring light into the world. Like the Apostle John said in our first sermon in Christmas Chaos, the light... That brings life to all men has come into the world. Our darkness didn't understand it, but the light has emerged. Now, as we go out into our worlds, let's be people who push back the darkness. Not winning people over because we're so loud and bright. <laughs> but because when light comes in contact with darkness, humble contact, the darkness disappears The power is not us. It's in us. It's not your fancy words. It's not your boldness. It's not your anger. Right? It's none of that. It's. Simply coming into the world, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. When you exist in this place, the darkness disappears. When you exist in your workplace, it's preserved. When you exist at Christmas and open your mouth and share authentically from the heart, people's lives are changed. JP just shares his story and some of you are already being transformed by it. There's power in the testimony, there's power in the spirit, and there's power in the gospel, which is the salvation for everyone who believes. So share it. Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl, right? Let it shine. Push back the darkness. One of the ways that I view these different Advent partners that we have over the Christmas season is a way that we can step into the darkness and start pushing it away. Right, when we step into Cross Street, it's either going and helping or giving finances, whatever it is. We are helping people who are living in these shadows of dark times get a leg up and having the darkness pushed back. Right? When you are funding or helping or serving with an, with an organization that is helping women who are being either under the oppression of tyranny from a husband or a boyfriend or under abuse from drugs or whatever it is, you are pushing back the darkness by helping those people. And today as we support City Team, this is an opportunity that we can partner with an organization that is pushing back the darkness as men come who are riddled by addiction and in bondage to that sin and they hear the gospel, they get some skills, and they go back into the world and the light is emerging from that place. And so don't just think about this as I'm going to give some money because it's a good cause. You are pushing back the darkness with your work that you do, whether it's with your hands or with your wallet or with your feet or with your mouth. This is the way that we can push back the darkness. After we pray in a moment, we're going to see a glimpse of what God's doing through City Team. And like Larry said, as we leave today, we have a chance to financially partner with them. And you can do that or do that online. But let's be darkness pushers this Christmas season. Let's let our light shine. And let's see what God does as the light comes into the world and illuminates us to bring the light to every dark place on planet Earth.